O'Brien. I'm your host, Brent Vassbinder, joined here as always with Quentin Cools. And Quinn, the season is full swing and we've got some crazy stuff going down. Starting here with some notable news. The most interesting thing happened in the last couple of weeks in the NBA, Quinn, was something that more mirrors an episode of like WWE SmackDown. And that was <laughs> Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels. Clay, of course, from the Golden State Warriors and Jaden McDaniels of the Timberwolves. Two, honestly, powerhouses in the West, I would argue. Um, they were jawing at it. Um, Jaden kind of ripped Clay's jersey and looked like they needed to be separated. And so who would you know? Draymond Green came in, of course, to separate the guys and make sure nothing got escalated, right? Nope. Draymond came barging in and locks Rudy Gobert, who was seemingly trying to de-escalate the situation, puts Rudy in a chokehold and drags him for a good like five, six feet in a chokehold. And of course, was met with a five-game suspension, which will greet Draymond with a staggering $769,000 in lost contract revenue there. And so Draymond here, known for leading the league in technicals here, starting off the season with a nice five-game suspension when Curry was already out with an injury, um, making it a little challenging for the Golden State Warriors as they try to start their season. Yeah, and Draymond's the kind of guy where, you know, you, you have to love his heart, you have to love his grit, you have to love the character that he has, you know, helped form in the Warriors over this period of time, like no three players, you know, with Clay and Steph and him have been together as a nucleus for this amount of time in the league. Like they, they are the gold standard, right? But there are these antics that it's like, man, you get in the way of yourself so much. Like it's not just lost money. It's lost games where like, these are, this is a, I'm, is it too early to say this is a pivotal time for the Warriors? Like they need to be building something now. They can't just wait around. And so they need Draymond. And, and I just thought it was hilarious because I, I'm seeing these these pictures of this chokehold. I wasn't watching it live at the moment, you know, and, and, and sure, like the photos make it probably out to be you know worse than it actually was. But the dude literally is maintaining the chokehold. Like he's not moving his arm now that, you know, Rudy's kind of slouching. Like he's not moving it away. He's like, I, I got you. I got you. It's like, dude, okay, uh, two game suspension, three game suspension, four game suspension. It's like a parent with their child being like, all right, I'm going to count to three. <laughs> it's like five game suspension. Craziness. Jaw flashes a gun on Instagram live, gets 25 game suspension. And then we actually have an actual chokehold looking like he's trying to put Rudy <laughs> unconscious in front of all the fans. And uh, we had a five game suspension. Make of that what you will. I find it fascinating that immediately in the post game press conference, Steve Kerr came to Draymond's aid and said it looked like Rudy had his hands on Clay's neck. And so Draymond came in there to defend Clay, which that's a really weird way to defend your friend by putting the guy, the guy in a headlock. And then after the league dished out its five-game suspension um, in the next press conference, of course, you got Steve Kerr at the podium saying that Draymond's actions were inexcusable. And so interesting to see the effect that the league's uh, punishment coming out can do to change um, the verbiage there of how Steve Kerr was framing that. Um, but yeah, just fascinating to see that. Would love to pivot straight into this week in NBA history, only because it perfectly matches with the Draymond situation, 19 years ago this week, Quinn, was the famed Malice in the Palace. That's right. Two of the best teams in the NBA 
the reigning NBA champions, the Detroit Pistons, and the team that lost to them in the Eastern Conference Finals the previous season, the Indiana Pacers, met in Detroit, which was going to be one of the most famous matchups ever. Not because of what actually happened during the game, but what happened during a technical timeout with 45 seconds left, of course. Um, started with Ben Wallace throwing some hands on Ron Artelis, then a fan threw a drink at Ron Artest, which led to Ron Artest and Steven Jackson jumping into the stadium, into the stands to beat up fans. <laughs> and looking back, this has got to be like top five most famous moments in the NBA. I remember being, I was a seven-year-old kid when this happened, and I just remember it being one of the craziest things I'd ever seen happen in my life. And now looking back 19 years later, it's really interesting to see how the NBA has become so much more aggressive with their punishments, honestly, Quinn. Because looking at this, I mean, they did suspend nine players, and that led to a total of $11 million in salary being lost. And five players actually got a charge with assault because, of course, they were throwing punches at fans. But honestly, Quinn, if Malice in the Palace happened today, like I could see like somebody like a Steven Jackson or a Ron Artest just getting straight up like, you know, axed from the league and waived and kind of given you know, that kind of treatment, like, a, you know, Josh Primo kind of like immediately off the team kind of right. treatment. So it's interesting to see how this has aged. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to like the late 90s, there was uh, the Latrell Sprewell incident where he, he literally was choking PJ Carlissimo, right? Like you have that. And then a few years later, you have Malice in the Palace. Um, so like, it was a different time back then. Like, you know, there was... You know, you think back to the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, Pistons, you know, bad boys or whatever. Like there is there's some aggressive play. And then sometimes that play extends past the game of basketball and turns into literally assault charges. So I think Draymond got away with, you know, you know, five game suspension, not that big of a deal on on, uh, you know, kind of the spectrum. But yeah, when you look back at, at that time, like what what a time for the league to figure out David Stern trying to figure out how to lead forward. And, and I think probably under Adam Silver's watch, you have a little bit more um, kind of, I don't know, just, just kind of a, he, he's a little bit tighter with things and he's kind of just very, he's very aware, very involved. And, and so maybe that's for the better. Uh, maybe that allows for the league to maintain some some measure of control over these sorts of situations. Um, but uh, I think it was good to to give out a quick suspension for Draymond and, and for Malice in the Palace. I think as many games as those guys got, it was probably worth it. Yeah, so I think the funniest thing about that situation was Ron Artest was laying on the scorer's table when he got hit with the, the beer, I think it was. And so he jumps in the, the stands and grabs a fan and starts pummeling this fan who he thinks is the guy that he just the grabs drink. the nearest guy. But the, the actual <laughs> fan that threw the drink wasn't actually the one that Ron Artest grabbed. And so That's here amazing. you have him just, oh man, just a really classic moment in NBA history. You know, obviously, you know, we don't condone violence here on Dying for the O'Brien, but you can't deny the iconicness of Indiana Pacers fans hopping into the stands to beat up Piston fans. Talk about the real bad boys. <laughs> it was the Pacers. Getting to some NBA action here, going around the league here. Want to hit on some teams we weren't able to cover in our last episode here. And so let's start here with a huge surprising kind of Cinderella story as far as, I don't know of a team, Quinn, that has been ridiculed so much. Even on the pod here, we questioned this back in the offseason. 
but to make such a turnaround early on the season. And that's the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are currently sitting with the number one seed in the West at 9-3. and three. And they haven't had just easy games. They've beat the Warriors twice. They've beat the Pelicans twice. They've beat the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Heat. And the Timberwolves have been in an all-out assault. And it makes me so happy um, for a lot of parties involved. Kat, who has you know, spent the last 10 years wasting away on the Timberwolves in kind of a KG-style vibe. You've got Anthony Edwards, kind of the next him everyone's saying. And you've got Rudy Gobert, of course, who you know got made fun of for you know the Timberwolves giving up like five first-round picks for him. And then he basically started the COVID pandemic, people joke around, <laughs> um, with that microphone incident. And so it's been so fun to watch the Timberwolves have some success. So happy for them and so happy for their fan base. I I did not see this coming. Like we we I mean the Rudy Gobert trade, you know, none of these stars in the offseason other than Durant could get that kind of haul. Everyone's just making fun of it. Uh, even at the beginning of the season, I mean, one or two podcast episodes ago, I I made the remark about you know, it would be a great, you know, another, you know, another, you know, another matchup would be like a one eight seed between the Nuggets and the Timberwolves. And obviously I was referring to the Nuggets being the one seed and the Timberwolves being the eight seed. And so shame on me. Right. But like coming out of the gate, it, it, it's late October, start of the season. Uh, two of their first three games, they lost at Toronto and at Atlanta. And, the, and those teams have, have not been consistent this year. Those teams have, have been trying to figure out what is our identity, how do we figure out our pieces and all that. And so the fact that they had early losses to teams that were really trying to figure crap out was was what led me to think that they really didn't have it this year and they still were not going to be able to figure things out. But here they are. And like you said, they're top of the West. I'm I'm kind of shocked by it. Um, it, it. It's kind of the best case scenario when you're putting all these pieces together of like, okay, well, what if you have the the Rudy Gobert who's, you know, grabbing 13, 14 rebounds and is getting a few blocks a game and so forth. And what if you have Towns, you know, with a great three-point shooting and he's like the big scorer, but what if, you know, what if uh, what if Anthony uh, Edwards, you know, has his big explosion year after the summer? Like if everything goes well and, by golly, I mean, everything seems to be going well. So that, like you said, all those wins against the big teams, uh, I think that's what says it to me that they've arrived. That's the stamp on the league. Yeah, and love to see Anthony Edwards and Cat work well together. Of course, that's the pairing that everyone was saying, of course, that they needed to get Cat out of there if they were really going to commit to the Gobert-Ant pairing. But right now, Anthony Edwards has been averaging 26 points a game, um, and Cat's been averaging 21 points a game. So they've been, both been able to feast offensively. Um, and Gobert has been throwing in his 12 points a game, 12 rebounds a game. And so the Timberwolves are firing on all cylinders. They're currently looking up. They're wrapping up the Knicks right now. Um, that will only extend their dominance as the number one seed in the West. And I just think it would just be wild um, for Wolves fans to see a, a, an actual legit like get to the second round, which would be huge for them. I mean, I don't have the date in front of me, but think about the last time the Timberwolves made it past the second round. I mean, you know, I was probably in diapers, um, <laughs> which is a minute. I'm happy for them. Going to one of the top seeds in the East, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks with Quinn's former um, uh, player he enjoyed watching for his team. And that's Damian Lillard, who has been averaging 24 points a game. Giannis has been averaging 29 points a game. And so when you have those two guys teaming up, even though other guys like Middleton have been seemingly showing some signs of regression as he's been aging, it's okay now because Giannis has 
a man who has been aging like fine wine his entire career. And it's been so fun, Quinn, to watch late games with the Bucks because they've got somebody they can go to late game who is clutch. And if he gets fouled, he isn't going to go take 20 minutes to brick a free throw, which is just so great for them. And so the Bucks have been showing off some major wins against the Mavs. They had a close win against the Sixers the other night. The Heat, a dominant performance for the Bucks, showing that, yes, the Celtics might have gotten Drew Holiday, but they got Dame, and that means something. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we were on this podcast talking about the Bucks being, you know, a top two, three team in the East. But there was a, a lot of hate early on because uh, it, t- it took Willard a little while. Uh, those first few games, I mean, he had a couple games where he was, you know, in the low teens for scoring and he was, you know, had had under 50 percent shooting and not great from three point. And it was just kind of how do we figure stuff out? Um, how do we get the pick and roll going? When when do I have my shot? Uh, and and it, honestly, I've even as a fan of Lillard over you know a decade plus, uh, there were times where you know he would just he would be a, a player that would often defer. Um, and so like even like when Lamarcus Aldridge was there for those first couple years, he he would defer a lot to Aldridge so that Aldridge would get you know his six or eight or ten points in the first quarter, and then Lillard would kind of heat up as the game went on and then kind of take over at the end. And that was kind of his style. And so part of this is I think part of his personality, part of the way that he plays the game is allowing things to come to him. And then at the end, kind of taking over as needed. And so obviously it's been turning out pretty well for the Bucks. They've had a little bit of injuries here and there, but it's been light and not season damaging and nine and four at, at the time of this reporting. Yeah. Really happy for the Bucks. Happy of course for Dame to have him experiencing some um, success. You know, he's got to be happy that he's not wasting away in uh, Portland, Oregon, um, this season with that team, happy for him to see some success. A team that, you know, started with that whole rebuild, we always talk about, you know, the ideal situation for a rebuild is to go the Sam Presti route. It's kind of a, a like a moniker now for it. And it looks like it has been paying off. The Thunder have been dangerous so far this season. They're 10 and 4 right now. They've beaten the Warriors twice. They beat the Suns with KD. They beat the Cavs twice. And Shea Gilgis Alexander has been going off on what he does best. And that is being an offensive powerhouse, 29.6 points a game. That's more points than Dame's averaging, Giannis is averaging, most people are averaging. SGA just absolutely balling out, throwing in six rebounds, six assists as well. As the Thunder have assembled a core of players under 25 in Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams, and these guys just look like they're having a ball playing together. I love OKC's um, social media team because they're just able to generate just so much fun content, having all these just young guys in their early 20s just balling out together. And it's cool to see how they've been able for such a young team to have maturity in tight situations. So uh, this week they played the Warriors again, and they were down three with 1.6 sec- seconds left. Mm, mm. Oh, they inbounded to shot. their starting center. Shot. Let's go. Chet grabs it, spins around, Wiggins is in his face, and he just drains a step turnaround fade three in the corner on an away game and sends it to OT. And to make it even better for them, they actually succeed in OT and take down the Warriors here. And so it has been so fun watching a young Thunder team have genuine success because, you know, if you're Thunder fans, how long has it been? I mean, I guess since they last tried the Carmelo Paul George, Russell mm. Westbrook partnership that mm-hmm. was didn't turn out good. It's been a long time since the Thunder were competitive. 
Yeah, and it has been. And so and so to have it just be fun and have the winning that makes it uh, uh, you know all, all the better. I I remember there was a there was a year um where the Portland Trailblazers in our first 10 games had uh, had like three games that came down to the wire and and there was a different player um that had a winning shot. Um, and I, and I just thought, you know, that has to be some, there has to be something amazing about the confidence for an individual player. And then the culture of the team, when it's not just the same star player doing it all the time, if it's just Lillard, or if it's just SGA doing that all the time, well, then that player is always going to do it. And there's going to be some times when, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't work out, maybe it does. But when you have multiple guys that you can go to and you have that optionality, well, now the defense has to play it a little differently. So the fact that Chet was able to be the guy and they had the confidence to get him the ball and with his incredible height over Wiggins, which, you know, Wiggins not not, not always putting the best effort in with the, the body that God gave him. I wish that he put in a little bit more effort, but how could you block Chet Holmgren rising up at the three-point line with, yeah, like two seconds left? Incredible. So I thought that was fantastic. The one thing I will warn the, the Thunder about is you know, you haven't done anything yet, so maybe SGA should chill out on social media. Like he's not the king of the Warriors. He didn't he didn't defeat the Warriors dynasty. Uh, you have to do that in the playoffs. So watch out. Yeah, and as teams like the Timberwolves and other teams has found out, the Warriors are different in the playoffs. They kind of have that Jimmy Butler kind of um, notch that they notch up as soon as it switches over from the regular season. Um, and they bring out all this conserved, you know, reserved energy and they turn into a different animal. So, yeah, definitely the Warriors, no matter their record, you just got to assume if they can get into the playoffs that they're going to be dangerous because at this point they have just become masters at closing out seven game series with whatever team they're facing. Speaking of Jimmy Butler, the Heat are off to a great start to the season before the season started. The Heat were just a the mockery of NBA Twitter and social media because, of course, they had that failed attempt to bring in Dame or another star to help with Bam and Jimmy. And so everyone just throwing shade on the Miami Heat. But, of course, this is Heat culture we're talking about. They've got their their new court, Quinn, that under the, the basket and the free throw uh, in the paint area. It talks about them being like the meanest, nastiest, hardest working team just flexing on their actual court. It's hilarious. Uh, the Heat are eight and five right now. They've beat legit teams like the Lakers. Um, they've also beat the Hawks and the Nets. Jimmy Butler has been averaging what is pretty normal for him in the regular season is 21.9 points a game, five rebounds, 3.5 assists. We know he can bring that up to 30 points whenever the postseason rolls around. The big story has been with Bam. Tyler Hero has gone out with an injury, and so that's put a lot more pressure on Bam to create offensively. And Bam has come out having a career year, averaging 22.8 points a game, 10 rebounds, 3.9 assists. And I know at this point, the the pod has got to be aware that I'm a huge Bam, Bam fanboy because I really think he represents what all centers should, you know, if God allows them to have the natural ability to pursue it, the kind of pack, <laughs> the kind of package that Bam brings to the table. Yes. It's, it's incredible to watch him work in the post with the handles that he has. He is the ideal big man. And so Jimmy and Bam have teamed up with Tyler out with, Kyle Lowry reversing like a bad bottle of wine, unlike Dame, um, <laughs> seemingly getting worse every year. Jimmy and Bam have put the heat on their back. And surprisingly, you know who's on a renaissance, Quinn, is Duncan Robinson. Duncan 
got that really fat contract a couple years ago and then immediately had one of the worst years of his career right afterwards and so was getting ridiculed but Duncan has been excellent he's gotten back in the starting lineup and happy to see shooters shoot and getting paid yeah Duncan Robinson was was uh, a guy that I I really enjoyed in last year's playoffs um he just he just kind of had a vibe to him and uh had you know kind of got under the skin of a few players and had a couple good games here and there. So, you know, he's a fun player. But going back to Bam, I think we need to get you a, a T-shirt that, that, that says Bam Fan on the back. Uh, you know, I, I also am a big Bam fan. I think that I think that the, the, there's this duality to, to players in the NBA where on the one hand, you need to let the game come to you. On the other hand, you need to have the vision – uh, for what's going on on the court, what the defense is showing, and then to initiate and, and take action and be the one to impose your will. And I feel like Bam does that beautifully where there's times that he just, you know, like when he gets the ball in the post, it's just kind of feeling where he's at and maybe I'll spin and do a hook. Maybe I'll, you know, kind of get more physical into the defender. Uh, maybe I'm going to pass out to a shooter. But, like, he kind of lets that come to him. There's other times, though, where he's playing point center <laughs> and he's and he's running the floor and he's the one that's initiating and getting that pass uh, going. And and I just love, like you said, watching him play. I also love that, that Jimmy Butler woke up on the season and is uh, back to his good old self. Yeah, I love to see it. His hair is back to normal and his game is looking clean as well. Moving on to the Sacramento Kings. They are eight and four. They're actually just eight and five now because they just took an absolute massive L to the Pelicans a few minutes ago. Um, but, but up until a few minutes ago, they were eight and four, but they're also still eight and five, having a fantastic start, picking where they left off. They really took the step last year, finally breaking into the playoffs for the first time in a millennia um, last year and are looking this year to make some noise and actually win a playoff series. Of course, they drew, of course, the Warriors last season, and we know how that turned out. And they've had some big wins against the Thunder the Lakers, the Mavs, and all behind their captain. That's right. De'Aaron Fox has been on an absolute heater. 31.9 points a game. 4.6 rebounds, 6.1 assists. There was all this discussion when Tyrese Halliburton was traded, whether or not they should have shipped out Fox and, and not Tyrese. But Fox is showing that he belongs in Sacramento. Absolutely. I mean, the clutch... The speed, the speed in transition that Fox gets down the court is just incredible to watch. Defenses just have no time to set their feet. They're pretty much either going to let him take an easy basket or they're going to foul him and send him to the line. And so Fox has just been an absolute matchup nightmare for people. And then Sabonis, of course, coming over on that trade um, that sent Halliburton to the Pacers, averaging 20 points a game, 12.9 rebounds. And the Kings just enjoying a new era that has been coming for them for a long, long time where they're actually competitive every night and actually look like they're putting themselves in a position to have a good playoff spot come the spring. I mean, obviously there's, there's been a lot of talk with Darren Fox over the last year, but it, it's a classic case of, you know, good player, bad team, or maybe he's not a good player because his team is so bad year after year. And then last year, it seemed like they kind of put that to bed. They obviously had a, a, a really phenomenal series with the Warriors. They weren't able to get past them, but you know it was it was still a really great year in terms of building culture and moving forward and setting some winning standards. 
um, for him to come out and after, yeah, they had a few losses early on, but now, I mean, they had, what was it like seven wins straight. And like you said, he's been on this heater. So like, I mean, this is like Lillard stats last year. Lillard was, you know, 33 uh, points a game for the first two thirds of the season. Um, that that's right at the pace that De'Aaron Fox is at. He's at 32 points a game. So um, if you can have a player like that elevate, and obviously he won like the the clutch award last year and so forth, um, then then that elevates the entire ceiling for that team. Like they have some good role players, and obviously Sabonis is a, is a good player, and he'll always kind of be in the conversation for a spot on the All Star team and whatever. But he's kind of fringy. Like Darren Fox is really the guy who can be a star on this team. And so he really has to elevate in order for the Kings to be taken seriously. Right now, you know, their record looks like they're going to be, you know, pushing for kind of a top four seed in the West. We'll see if they can maintain that pace, but it's all going to ride on that guy. Yeah. Happy for the beam team. Happy for the people of Sacramento and the fans of Sacramento. If anybody has earned some success, it's Sacramento Kings because of course, you know, like it or not, I think there was some really um, sus, sus uh, officiating back in their uh, early 2000 series with the Lakers. Um, things just, um, you know, that was before the ref uh, betting scandal got exposed. And so if anybody deserves to see their team thrive, you got to hand it to Sacramento Kings fans. And so happy to see the beam team thriving here early on the season. Guys like Malik Monk, uh, Kyle Herter, just really thriving on that team and the roles they've been put in. And so happy for the Kings. Moving to two small market teams here, Quinn, starting with the Orlando Magic here. With the same record, actually, as the Miami Heat and the Sacramento Kings, the Magic are 8-5 and five for the first time in six years as they have been absolutely turning it up another level here. The Magic have gotten into this habit um, of some of their games of recent, Quinn, where we've been um, building up these big leads to only let them just blow away. But the Magic changed course last night. Um, they went up to Indianapolis, and I as well went to Indy to go watch them live, and they absolutely blew out the Pacers. I was running my mouth the whole game, annoying everyone <laughs> around me. I was on my feet all the time, and the the Magic went up by forty early, like uh, like late early third quarter, went up by like forty, and it was just beautiful to watch. Um, just the the combination they have there of Jalen Suggs has helped lead our team to currently. The Magic have the number one defensive rating. I think we're tied with the Celtics. The number one defensive rating in the league right now. Paulo and Franz as the one-two punch there. It has been so much fun as someone who's been cheering for my team since I went to my first game and at six months years old. It's been so fun to watch real wins. So like this week we had Paulo hit a game winner with the Bulls. And then two nights later, Franz came out and hit the game winner with 30 seconds left against the Bulls as well. Um, thanks Chicago for that Vooch trade. Uh, we're still thankful for that. Um, and it's just been incredible to watch a team <laughs> that has just been in the, you know, obviously the middling, you know, out of the playoffs or a first round exit team for so long have genuine success. It has just brought so much joy to my heart. Yeah, totally. I, I, I texted with you uh, at the uh, end of the first half. I think Tyrese Halliburton, his stat line was two, 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 two. And I was like, how do you keep Tyrese Halliburton to that kind of stat And we line? had our rookie. We had A.B., Anthony Black. We had our rookie on him some in the first half. And who, no matter who was on him, we are able to lock him up, which, I mean, Tyrese is not a guy to be messed with, right? I mean, this man is, you know, the guy. He's him on the Pacers. So, yeah, it was nuts. 
Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a kind of thing with the magic where like, here's a couple thoughts. So like one is that defensive rating, if that's for real, like that's so rare. I feel like for a young team to be like that locked in and that committed on defense. And so that, that says, you know, something tremendous about the coach, about the culture, about the future for the franchise. Like that's really impressive for a young team. And then two, typically that comes with a particular coaching kind of mindset, like where, you know, Tibbs is going to be a a coach who comes in and his offense is going to be super slow and his defense is going to slow things down. And so his defensive rating is going to be really high. And you're kind of weighing through, you're like, all right, is that worth the trade-off? But with Orlando, you also see them getting out on the break. You also see kind of the the variability of the different kind of players that they have. Like the, the like you know Paulo when he gets down in the paint, like watch out. And and when you get these guards who I mean we've talked about how many guards, how many how many players you know should be playing point guard, you know starting with the ball or or, or coming off the bench with the ball in their hands, and yet it works. And and kudos, shout out to the coaching staff because they're making this thing work. And obviously the players are performing really well and all the things, but there's there's something about the culture here that I'm excited about because that that's something you can build on. Yeah, it's no surprise the defeat the defensive focus of the team because of course Jamal Mosley who came over in 2021 to be the head coach of the Magic had just spent seven years with the Mavs under Rick Carlisle and was their defensive coordinator and so he has just kind of taken that momentum he had as the defensive coordinator for the Mavs and he brought it over two years over to Orlando now the thing the Magic needs to work on is our offensive rating which I think we like going into last night's game we were like 26th in the league so we were first in defense and 26 in offense the Pacers were like first in offense and 27th in defense and mm. so the magic really needing to work on they've good at locking their other the other team down but needing to get in rhythm here as far as um, output particularly from the three-point range as far as uh, attempts and makes would be something the magic can look to um, build on but love to see Orlando thriving and looks like they're just having a ton of fun with a team that is so different than two years ago when we blew it up at the deadline. So happy for the magic closing out here for the final team to go over. And that is the Portland trailblazers here with a record that might sound disappointing, but when you look at what, who's playing every night, when you look at the injuries you've got here, I'm not sure if you're Joe Cronin here, a three and 10 record to start the season might be exactly what you're trying to cook up here as Portland has seen just a really interesting assortment of players here. Of course, Rob Williams, poor guy, has dealt with so many injuries in his career, and he gets to Portland looking for a fresh start, and he goes down with a season-ending uh, surgery here for Rob Williams here. So lots of injuries for the Blazers here, but plenty of time for Shane Sharp to get developmental minutes. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked, this is the season. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Shaden Sharp and and DeAndre Ayton, let's build some chemistry there. Let's get Scoot Henderson healthy and get him some reps. Uh, yeah, losing, you know, Rob Williams, it's, it's, not, it's not so bad for the season. It's probably better for our record to continue to plummet. But uh, seeing him go out is sad because that's a trade chip that we don't really have anymore. Um, I think that uh, it's also notable that nine of the last 10 games, Jeremy Grant has been our leading scorer and he's the most competent scorer out there. He's the most professional scorer. 
of the basketball on our team. But that also plays well for us because, you know, two months from now, three months from now, when we're looking to trade him, uh, he's going to have the stats to back up the contract and somebody's going to give us a first round pick, maybe two. So um, I think we're going to be fine. I'd, I'd like to see, obviously, Scoot Henderson get healthy and kind of return to form. I don't think he had a great start with his first few games. So would love to see that happen. Um, but it is a little bit sad to not be as interested in the season. You know, typically, you know, I grow up listening to AM radio and, you know, me and my brother are on the on the floor, you know, doing math homework, listening at 7.30 p.m. in Portland, you know, to our Portland Trailblazers on the radio. It's awesome time. Yeah, but I just don't have that interest in this season. And, you know, I'll follow, I'll watch the highlights and so forth. But it is a little sad to root for a team that is going to be so, so terrible. Yeah, but you have to hand it, it is still a fun team to watch. I think my favorite thing about the Blazers is, I think your all's branding and media team is super slick. So the G League team is named the Rip City Remix, which is just honestly a really dope name. And whether it's the G League jerseys or y'all's um, branding has been excellent, and which is great because that's something you can guarantee on succeeding this season, even though your record might not follow suit. Finally, closing out this episode with something that's just, well, random um, on this edition of That's Random is LaMelo Ball was informed of the league that he has to cover the initials of his middle name, which he tattooed behind his ear in large font because he started his own personal brand, which is named after his middle name, LaFrance. So he has an LF tattooed behind his ear. And so because that's the name of his brand and the NBA is a policy about uh, players not supporting commercial logos outside of the ones that pay to be on their jerseys. The league is mandated for presumably the rest of his career. LaMelo Ball has to have a giant Band-Aid looking thing on the side of his head behind his ear because his uh, the initials to his middle name are tattooed behind his ear. Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, I think, uh, you know, if, if it was just any initials, if it was uh, in any font, like it probably they wouldn't care. Uh, but the fact that he decided to go corporate with that name, like that, that's on him a little bit. Like he could always change the name of his corporate brand, right? <laughs> so, um, I, th- you know, he's. I don't know. What are you gonna? Th- what are you gonna do? Like, are you gonna? Are you gonna get a new tattoo over it? Are you gonna uh, try to transform that tattoo into something else? Uh, I would hate to have to cover up a tattoo every time that I'm playing in an NBA game. But hey, if I'm making that much money as his you know, max contract, I, I'm okay doing whatever, honestly. <laughs> yeah, he's gotten the absolute bag there and looking to lead a Hornets team that just got controversial former leading scorer Miles Bridges back, actually. I feel like just everything that happens that's weird or awful somehow always is connected to the hornets for some sad reason whether it was getting a weird ban- and awful <laughs> i mean getting abandoned by mj um as he sold the team good for mj maybe not good or maybe it's good for the hornets um getting your leading scorer coming back but it's because he was serving expansion for beating the wife of his children in front of them um and so really hoping for hornets fans um that they're able to see some positive rays of stability in the future getting this ot win against the celtics tonight is surely going to lift their spirits but i think that's going to cover it for us tonight we'll have more nba basketball coming at you next time as we cover more teams we haven't got a chance to cover yet thanks for joining us guys and we'll catch you next time